Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We're going to continue today to promote biblical worldview, and uh, I love this book that we're talking about because it it really is a mega deep dive into exactly. Um, I mean, even today, the topic of language and how important language is, it, it is such a powerful thing, the Christian worldview, explaining the world in which we live in today. And I hope we, we shed a lot of exciting insight on that. But before we get to that, we're just enjoying the season that we're in here, especially as it relates to the expansion that's happening. Yeah. Lots of activity. Yeah, I was telling Pastor Ron, you know, driving in today, I was like, am I in Crown Point or am I in downtown Chicago? I mean, there's long lines, construction, there's cranes moving, there's metals being moved. We got got massive girders being uh, removed from trucks and being basically staged because we're not quite ready for that. And then we got a massive... Concrete pumping truck going on, yeah. and dozens of people working. It's, it's really exciting. The the pad is coming into shape, and yeah. pretty soon the uh, we'll start moving from the horizontal level to the vertical level uh, with uh, steel girders going up. It's really really fun. Yeah, and and then we are approaching the recommitment for our now campaign too. So yeah, that's been exciting. In fact, uh, this is our third go around. We've uh, we're, we'll be entering year three of a three-year campaign commitment. Uh, We encourage those of you that are listening to uh, consider helping us out. If you haven't, we we just have one more year left, and uh, we had our recommitment uh, dessert a couple nights ago that was really great. This Sunday, everybody will... Uh, we'll be making a commitment, actually. Uh, this is our recommitment Sunday, just prior to or coming up after this podcast. Um, and then we'll be finishing strong uh, for the last year. By June of 2024, Lord willing, we will be uh, in the new sanctuary wow. and, and celebrating. So, um, again, praise God all for all that's going on. And, and we're, what we're asking is simply for people to pray. Yeah. You know, ask the, Lord, ask the Lord and say, you know, what is my part in this expansion and this thing that you're doing guys yeah you know it's really fun when you can do things in the natural or you can do things in the supernatural and really the church is a supernatural organization you can't become a member unless you've had a supernatural encounter with jesus that changes your heart and changes your life and yet i'm amazed at how the church tends to operate in the very natural dimension just like any other organization and it really robs god of glory and robs the church of a lot of fun you know so we've been encouraging people don't try to figure out like what you can give based on your budget projections ask the holy spirit what what is it that he wants you to do and then just obey and it's amazing how when we pray and obey then we give the the lord the chance to be the supernatural awesome powerful god that he is yeah uh so we've got tons of stories and we want to encourage you make sure you have your own story as uh you're partnering together with us to see god accomplish this so very very cool and then we'll talk about tonight because uh we have a massive women's event that will be happening tonight yeah, at Livingstone. The network we're part of, NRP, is having our Women's uh, Flourish Conference starting tonight, I believe. I think mm-hmm. a bunch of ladies from all over the country will be flying in. About 500 ladies from all across uh, uh, mostly the Midwest, South. Uh, coming up. It's going to be a really, really great time. Yes. And a lot of guys that will be serving at that event, so including myself. So uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you guys out, helping us uh, serve the ladies and having an amazing time together with the Lord. So Yeah, absolutely. All right. we. I, I hope you've been enjoying this podcast, especially as we have been, as Pastor Andrew said, in this incredible book, the book that made your world, how the Bible created the soul of Western civilization. 
And we're talking uh, in this podcast about the topic of languages. Uh, now, before we get there, real yep. quick, real quick review. I mean, in the past we talked about heroism. I think last podcast we talked about heroism. We talk about how um, these martyrs were burned at the stake. They were. Yeah, um, yeah. Kill simply for translating the Bible and making the Bible uh, accessible to everybody. Yeah. I want to tell you, for me, I, I I did not know about Tyndale and all these 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 heroes of the faith. So right now, I will tell you. I mean, I've been a Christian for as long as I remember. I have become much more motivated to read my Bible. Yeah. I mean, I, I I normally read my Bible, but but when I read it now, I feel a degree of treasure and yeah. honor and and a sacrifice. So I mean, everybody needs to learn this history to realize to not take not this you is know, not the Bible, the Bible for granted. When I was a youth pastor, um, we would do a certain historical figure like every month. Mm -hmm. We would highlight them well, for a season, because same thing. Like every Christian should know who William Tyndale is. The Absolutely, Bible that yeah. they hold in their hand is largely he's largely responsible, and, and so many of the great historical figures they they create the world in which we live today. Uh, are lost. Um, we just kids don't know about them. And like William Carey, who's William Carey? You know, I don't, no one knows William Carey. Well, he's only one of the greatest missionaries of all time. You know, uh, so uh, Hudson Taylor. Nah, nobody knows Hudson Taylor. Yep. Uh, you know, China would not be China today with all the believers that are in China without Hudson Taylor. So, these are the folks that get lost in the process somehow if we don't, you know, if we're not intentional about. Uh, digging them out and sharing who they are, you know. Yeah, uh, and it gives a fresh appreciation to the the great blessings that we have just all around us. Yeah, that we take for granted. We take for granted, absolutely. So, so this topic today is is on languages, and I love the subtitle: How was intellectual power democratized? That, that's a. So, in other words, you know, democracy is all about the people. How do we how do we take the power of the intellect or the intellectual class and turn it into something that was available for everyone. Yeah. Great question. And we, and we often take that for granted. You know, he starts with a with a, a, a wonderful point. Anybody that's been alive in our world today realizes that like if you love your country and you and you, you know, are patriotic, you're attacked as a Christian nationalist. And I always I always scratch my head like who doesn't love their country? Or when you see politicians saying, you know, we need to focus on America first, or we need to protect our borders, because, you know, borders are things that, that define nations. And then you got all these people that are irate about all this and calling us fascists. And, you know, of course, the, the allusion is to Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany, and that was... Uh, uh, socialistic nationalism rooted in the Nazi party of course everybody hates that but they equate the two and I've always scratched my head like who isn't a Christian nationalist or at least a nationalist like who doesn't love America we have we have a little bit of toleration for patriotism a little but nationalism is like a cuss word yeah fundamentally why is it bad like to care for your neighbors and your nation and the country that you are resident and you're a member of. Right. Why, why is that fundamentally a bad thing? Ask the same question. And right? why, why is globalism, which we would you know, fight strongly against, why is globalism for a Christian a dirty word? Yeah. Like, 
Uh, what, why is it that we're so worried? Like, you know, the people on the left are like, hey, let's just get rid of all borders. Let's, let's just be one big global family, right? And we'll just live happily ever after. And we can solve all the world's problems together. And we'll all be equal. From somewhere in Brussels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, you know, the economic form, whatever they call it, you know. So we're going to kind of do a deep dive on all that today because um, this, you know, the Bible and missionaries and and translations and all these kinds of things have been huge in helping us understand, you know, these particular questions. Yeah. Um, the, the author points out that Europe was once an empire that was a Christian empire. It was called Christendom. All of Europe was under a common, not language, but a common book uh, that shaped our worldview. Mm-hmm. So people grew up. Uh, understanding the world through the lens of the Bible. He says, in fact, that the post-Reformation, the Bible was responsible for reorganizing Europe uh, into nation-states. Uh, and the Bible provided a theological justification for fighting to build independent nation-states. And he gives the example of Holland. So this whole idea that there would be borders and boundaries in different nations uh, representing maybe different cultures and different languages and that this was actually good actually comes from the scriptures right and then having a a empire and a and a large globalistic uh uh governmental regime is not good right because it leads to a centralization of elitist power which leads to i mean corruption we've seen that history over history over and over again and we'll get into that a little bit in in just a moment uh in more depth but let's take a look at the flow of language Uh, he points out that and this was really really good that when jesus taught he did not teach uh in hebrew he taught in aramaic because aramaic was the language of the people so jesus is really the the first major leader we see whose focus is not on the elite power brokers in fact he bypasses them altogether and even his intentional choice of of uh, aramaic to communicate to the common person, which is why the common people love Jesus and why the elite people hated Jesus. And I I don't know that much has changed since then. He also mentions that the disciples, when they wrote the New Testament, they wrote the New Testament in a common Greek, a a trade language that, again, the common people would be able to read and understand. Again, very, very strategic. It wasn't the the high-level Greek, the precise Greek, the the Greek that the common person wouldn't understand. The God came to us in a very a trade language type of Greek. And then it was years later that St. Jerome, little history lesson here, gave us the Latin version of the Bible. After the Roman Empire collapsed upon itself, uh, Latin becomes the language uh, that's used. And I, I didn't know this. I knew St. Jerome was responsible for the, the Latin Vulgate, but I didn't know that the word Vulgate is where we get our word vulgar from. Meaning, again, it was the, the vulgar means just common, and it wasn't the high language, it was a common language. Right. Today, when we think of Latin, we think dead, his st- language to be studied. But back then, that was the English, that was the common language yes. of the people. Yes. And then, so we had the collapse of the Roman Empire, and we, we refer to Latin as a dead language. Of course, you have to take you know study Latin if you want to be like a doctor or a lawyer because a lot of the, yeah, the I languages. Took four years of Latin. I didn't, <laughs> you did. You I did Latin. I took high school four year Latin. I didn't get much out of it. Anyways, well, <laughs> well, and the local high school in town is known for 
having an incredible Latin club because a lot of a lot of words in right. in a lot of professions I took it back in Virginia, so. <laughs> <laughs> different place. Anyways, yeah, uh, well, that doesn't surprise me because you're, you're a brainiac. Uh, it is interesting. After after a thousand years after Jerome, he points out nobody bothered to translate the Bible into the dialects of the people of England, and so this is interesting. So you still have services, you know, high church services done in Latin to this day. There's still uh, certain Catholic um, services. The, the mass is done in Latin. Wow. So you know, here's the people sitting there <laughs> like a deer in the headlights because they don't understand anything, and you got these priests going on and on in Latin. Um, but but what we saw is what happened throughout history is whoever controls the language controls the people. Yes, and that's so, the crucial point. So you know, he pointed out, which I thought was really really good, that unless you were were highly educated, you came from wealth, or you were part of the clergy. Uh, you did not speak the language of the courts, of government, of religion, and so you know you wonder why did you know why did the Roman Catholic Church uh, become so powerful? Well, I think part of it had to do with the fact that they controlled the language, and the, they, he goes in the book and he says, you know, that part of the reason was anybody that could speak Latin was in high demand, so they became you know uh, professors. They became clergy. They became leaders, and the common person didn't have the time or the money to hire somebody uh, to try to teach them, you know, how to speak Latin. And so, the language itself kept you out of uh, really where the action was happening. Yeah, power, access, authority. Yep. The sacred text is only accessible by elite group of people who have used the sacred text to. Uh, make decisions, run your life, tell you what God says. Uh, well, and we find this today, even in the professions. You know, yeah. every major profession has has their own professional language. Yes, and, and you know, and you have to learn the language before you can get into. It's a this. rite of passage. Yes. It's a it's a it's a hazing process. It's exclusionary on purpose. Yes, yeah. and, and he he calls it a ling. I like this a linguistic caste system. Yeah, so you literally have people in different castes. Just like the Hindu caste system, or or some of the other you know caste systems across the world, but you you stay. In other words, stay in your place. Yeah. You don't know the language. Stay in your place. And and, and again, the the moral of this story so far is the same story to over and over again throughout the history of mankind. Human nature is a, a, a is a consolidation. Human nature drives us to consolidate elitism and power at the very top. And yep. the top says, we're going to keep our power. We're going to keep our caste system. We're not going to touch you guys. We're not going to engage you guys. We're not going to let our power, our wealth, our authority to be leaked to you guys. And we will insulate ourselves through walls, through fences, through gates, through uh, money, through uh, uh, language, yep. so that you have no access. In fact, if you're going to translate the Bible, we're going to kill you. Yeah. So, so this is interesting. Yeah. We talked about the Bible translators like Wycliffe and, yeah. and Tyndale and Luther, yeah. and why, why there was such a strong reaction. Yeah. You know, it was all it was all under the guise of you know, well, you know, the common people shouldn't shouldn't yeah. handle something as holy as the scriptures because they don't have the intellectual ability. Blah blah blah. But really, it was about power at the no, end of the day. It was really like, you know, we're going to kill you because you're not going to open up the Bible to the masses. That's that's us. Right. We're the keepers of, of God's Word. So that's human nature. And what Christ came is the opposite. And what Christians did is the opposite of that. Now, I, I want to kind of make a parallel. Yeah. I don't know. Should we make that parallel right now to, to our politics today? Yeah, go okay? for it. I mean, we all speak English. The elitists you know, in D.C., we all speak English. So they're not going to change the English language. But what they do is they will try to pass a bill... 
that's 4,000 pages long, and then says you got to read it in three hours, yeah. and we're going to pass it then and raise and any we objections. We have a vote coming up, yeah. And we have a vote coming up. And what happens is we don't. most people don't have the resource, the attorney, the time to go through. They have an army of attorney and resources to go and work through that, and they put all these things in the bill that has nothing to do with the intention or the title of the bill, and you have no idea what well, it how is. How about vague language that is open to all kinds of uh, different interpretations? Right. I mean, these are all legal games, and it's all, again, power-based. It's the same principle. They are using language to keep the power. I mean, even what's ha happening in Wall Street, the economic exchange, the insider trading, most normal people have no access to those systems and process, but that's the power broker that is not democratized, is not given to the common people. Right. They're using the same taxes, the tactics that's always been used to keep the power to themselves, right? So you got a guy like Tyndale, who literally, in, the, in, in going through the arduous task of translating the Bible into the language of the common man, yeah. he literally democratizes uh, language, you know, yeah. in that point, and power, giving power to the people, and that's, this is where we get phrases like knowledge, knowledge is power, yeah. right? Uh, because uh, when you're kept out of the in, the in group, the in information, you have no power. And, you know, he brings out the point in the book that the church became powerful because of language, yeah. but Europe was very weak because, because of no common language. In other words, when, when all the power brokers are speaking one thing, but the common people are left in the dark, you have a very weak uh, continent. Yeah, your, your nation that's focused on a group of elitists having all the power, all the creativity, and the common person, they're common by status, but not by gifting and ability, right. and their main image and likeness of God, the nation becomes corrupt and weak, yes. and, and it's prone to be destroyed. Yes. But when you give power away to, to everybody and allow everyone to have an opportunity well, to unifies innovate, you. unifies you, it grows you. There's a kid out on the street, he's poor, but he might have such great gifting, you can never innovate that gifting or cultivate that gifting to make the nation strong. Then you have a strong nation. Yeah. So that's so, the, so when these yeah. translators translate the Bible into the common language of the people, yeah. um, the, the only book the common person has to read is the Bible. Yeah. That's what happened. And so all of Europe, what's, if there's one book, because books were expensive, you know, uh, if there's one book that you have, it's the Bible. So you literally have an entire population of people reading the same book, yeah. reading off the same script, learning the language from the language of the scriptures, and having their worldview shaped by the language of the Bible, yeah. which... It was just why we call Europe Christendom and why we call, you know, Western Civ rooted in Judeo-Christian worldviews because the Bible was the book of the people. Yeah. And it is also the foundation of why we are so strong and why we've experienced such blessing. It's because of unity, a common language, and a common vision that comes out of a common book, namely the Bible. This guy attributed to, I mean, think about the, 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 uh, the island of Great Britain. It's a tiny little island. How does they how do they develop one of the greatest empires, naval bases, naval power in the world? Well, it's because of these translators of the Bible who took who took the Bible, uh, he democratized yeah. it, everyone was a learned knowledge, and all of a sudden Britain become a powerhouse of intellectual innovation and growth. Now obviously later they turned that into corruption, whatever, right. but how they got there was because of the Bible. Right. And so he what I love is he so he takes uh, England the author, and shows the development of yeah. language. But then yeah. what I love is he jumps into his own nation, to the nation yes. of India, Ooh, of which crazy. I have like no knowledge. Yeah. And again, what we're dealing with, we hear these words like nationalism, colonialism, 
uh, and they're all just terrible, terrible things. But he highlights again the difference between those who were, for instance, colonializing India for economic gain and explo exploitation. Yeah. But then you have all these Christians, and these Christians, like like Dr. Henry Martin. Um, these Christians come into an India that is full of poverty, full of disease, um, completely disunified. Yeah, the leaders of their own nation is just not caring about the unity and, and democratizing power. No, no, they want elitism. No. And what, right. but what you have is, a, is number one, and now this was interesting to me, the difference between polytheism and monotheism yeah. in terms of what it does to a nation. Uh, Hindus are polytheistic, so you go into every different community, and every different community speaks a different dialect. And it has a different God, yeah. different deity. Yeah. Each of those deities has a different expectation, which means each of those people under that deity have a different understanding of what their duty is. In yeah. other words, what the law is. And so you have this massive continent with billions of people who are living in abject poverty and squalor, who are completely ununified, and the root of it all is language. Yeah. Amazing. In other words, if you're you're Indian, just like me, we worship, we're Hindus. You're right next door, but we have nothing in common other than the color of our skin. We have a different deity that we worship, and yeah. even though we're so close, we speak a completely different language. I can't even talk to you. Yeah, I'm saying we're gonna start a business in between Maryville and Crown Point. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. How am I going to do that? Because I don't speak the same language. In Maryville, they speak French. And Yeah, you don't have a national identity. Yeah. yeah. You have a very tribalistic yeah. local identity. We like to eat this food. They don't like to eat that food at all. I mean, it, yeah. it, it just hinders all kind of technology innovation. So, so yeah. the missionaries, like, like yeah. Dr. Henry Martin, come in and they realize, wow, if we do not create a common language among the Hindu people, number one, the common language, so what's the motivation? So we can preach the gospel. Yeah. So we can elevate their well-being, so we can help them, so we can help them communicate to each other, and so that we can help build a unified nation, uh, because you can't have a healthy nation if you're all singing off a different script. And so it's interesting to me that while, while we're criticized in the West, it was our biblical understanding that says, number one, we need to love our neighbor, so we're willing, you know, like William Carey, we're willing to get on a boat and go halfway around the world on a trip that might kill us it, right. and could take six months to get there. I mean, this was not easy. To learn a language is very, very difficult. And not only a language, they had to learn all the dialects. Yeah. And then out of those dialects, these guys were such genius, you know, linguistics. They, they were able, through, through learning all these dialects, to pull out certain Hindu roots and cr actually create a common core language that then they could build off of to create a unified language. I mean, just think about how hard this is. Yeah. This is not to exploit these people. This is to help these people and to elevate these people and to bless these people because our Christian worldview says we should care about our neighbor. Yeah. And they were literally master craftsmen using every gift and talent and, and training they've been given, linguistic experts, to be able to build a foundation of a strong nation for somebody else. You can't have, like, national banks. You can't have, yeah. you know, anything national. National means that you're all operating, Absolutely. you know, as one people. Just, again, imagine if every city in this region spoke a different language, how difficult life would become and how yeah. difficult innovation, business, roads, government, 
how we would be so much weaker. Oh, if absolutely. That was the case. And yeah. easy, easy for a nation to come in with a common language and exploit us absolutely. and take us over. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, we do work in, in Pakistan. And when you're in Pakistan, you speak the Urdu language. Mm -hmm. The Urdu language unites Pakistan. There would be no united Pakistan if it wasn't for Henry Martin, because Henry Martin was the one who forged the dialects into the language of Urdu. So, it's a Westerner, it's a, it's a person from England who went at great expense and great risk and great dedication and labored to cre help create a common language in India yeah. today. And all we ever hear about is Western exploitation. Colonialism and all that yeah. stuff, yeah. So this is interesting, too. Even after they created the language, and we talked about this in previous podcasts, there was no culture, no, no ideological, philosophical culture to sustain it because they were Buddhist. And I thought the author brought out a good point. He says, um, the attempts to unify the people of India through a common language never caught on because Buddhism does not provide the motivation. In Buddhism, ultimate reality is silence, not speaking, and the path to enlightenment is through emptying your mind of all the words and all thoughts. So this is completely anti-language. In other words, we're trying to say, no, God wants us to communicate and relate and to share. And Buddhism says, no, shut up and empty your mind of all words. I mean, you talk about how a worldview leads to uh, poverty. Uh, Buddhism is a destructive, poverty-creating world. Buddhism is chic in our westernized industrial yeah. culture yeah. because it's an escape from it's materialism like a, yeah. and all that competition, all that stuff. In this context, it seems like a little re relief from all that, right? Yeah. But, but put it in this original context and expand to all of your 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 nation and see what kind of results it produce if your ultimate motivation is to empty your mind and do nothing. Yes. There's no motivation to grow, no motivation to yeah. build, no motivation to care, no motivation to love, it's to a, care for your family. So so Westerners use, use Buddhism and meditation as a means of uh, anxiety yeah, management. Right, right. But if you take it to the, to the fullest extent, Basically, it's a total checkout of total reality because the ultimate reality is not here. It's it's you that know. that is exactly what happens. I mean, you got you know Buddhism heavily influenced China. I mean, you got these emperors or these noblesmen who they had an awakening, so they go and they leave their family and they go into the woods, they go to the temples, and they just you know they just Meditate. live out. And yeah. the, as you know, like I'm a monk, and they're seen as a sacred person to give up everything. No, you give up your your your, your, your responsibility yeah. <laughs> to care for your nation. You, you give up your responsibility to be a dad, to be a husband. It, again, like it sounds so good in that area. Practically, if my dad did that, I would be so wounded and hurt. You know, yeah, or you know, in the old days, you'd die. Yeah. So it's just, but they were like, "Well, that's all nothing anyway." All the all the attachment I feel. I'm like, "Go reading these literatures." Like my attachment to my wife. Oh, that's just that's all figment. That's all illusion. I need to get rid of the attachment to my family. You and I will say, "You need to go to marriage class. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get a learn, job. Well, learn how to love the Bible, the your Bible says, "Love your wife." And if you don't, if you don't have a job and provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. And Buddhism says, you know, in fact, Buddha left his wife and left his child uh, to go off and find himself. Um, it's just the opposite. Yeah. It, and it leads to poverty. So this is interesting. I think this was important. The East India Company was in India for commercial profit. They could care less about, all they wanted was people to learn a little bit of English so they could actually do business. Right. But it was the missionaries whose vision was to educate the masses. And I love what the author says. He says, the Bible teaches 
that the Creator gave us the gift of language because He loves us. Love includes communication, and communication of great ideas requires great language. Isn't that good? So this is the foundation of the motivation that led missionaries to sacrifice everything to serve another another culture. So let's talk a little bit, because I thought this part of the, of the chapter was so rich. He talks about the Bible and nationalism. And, and I'll ask you, how does the Bible give us the modern idea of nation-states, which leads us to value this whole concept called nationalism? Why is nationalism a good thing, and where, where did this idea of nation-states originate in the Scriptures? Well, I mean, really, I think it started with globalism is the is the tower of babel yep it's a consolidation of human power is humanism which is, sounds pretty close to home right now consolidation of humanism which people says we could be like god we're going to build a ai i mean we're going to build a tower of babel that's going to right. make us like god we're going to build but, technology but just to put a, a yeah. comma here yeah. that is the the foundation uh, humanism's first impulse is globalism yeah and, and it goes all the way back to So Genesis we can look 11. at the tower and we can all identify with one thing. The whole nation can see the high tower and we can all be one because we'll create our own utopia. Right. We talk about this in other so, podcasts. So, yeah. Yeah. so United Nations and all these things yeah. that we have now, this is rooted in the impulse of, of human beings to consolidate power under the guise of somehow creating global utopia. utopia right. uh, and, and it comes from the pit of hell because we go back to Genesis 11 and we realize that, that, that the first attempt, God had to step in and intervene. And so that we see nations are the creation of a sovereign God. When God, when God uh, dispersed the languages uh, yeah, from one language to many, yeah. uh, he was actually creating the foundation of, of uh, nationalism. Right, and he's saying... Because of your fallen human nature, consolidation of power, especially on a global scale, not even on a national scale in which there's a strong, everything's, I mean, look at our federal government right yeah. now. It's utterly Separation corrupt. Of That's why we need to have state. That's what a founding father understands federalism, state yeah. and federal. Anyway. So it's interesting. Get, yeah. Okay, so now we get into yeah. states. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting that, you know, he talks about how God made a promise to Abraham that Abraham would he would his seed would multiply and become a great nation. Yeah. So this whole idea of national nationhood, statehood, and nationalism yeah. is really comes to us from the Jewish uh, uh, promises that God gave all the way back to Abraham in the Bible. Right. And what I love is I want, and I wanted to read this on page one seventy two in the book. He said, um, the Old Testament is the history of 12 tribes becoming one nation. Whenever Israel and the tribes were acting in unity, yeah. under God and under God's law, they were unstoppable. When they had tribalism occur and they were at each other, that's when they were weak. When the kingdom divided, that was yeah. actually the beginning of their fall. This is important, though. He said... The, the 12 tribes become one nation under a common law, which was the, the law of God, the scripture, overseen by elders with or without a king. The king's primary responsibility was their common defense. Priests and prophets helped elders keep a check on the king so that he lived and operated under God's law. And he says when these uh, 12 people groups bound themselves together to obey God's authority, they flourished. But when tribalism overrode national identity under one God and one law, they went into slavery. Now, I think this speaks to where we are today. Look at 
who we are as a nation. We are the United States. We could say the United Tribes mm -hmm. of America. I mean, our states are very much like tribes. Like, Indiana is going to feel different than Massachusetts yeah. or Alabama. In other words, states have their own flavor. They have their own way of doing things. They have their somewhat their own outlook, right? And then, but we were always united under one nation under God. We were a constitutional republic with a Judeo-Christian worldview. It was our worldview that came from the scriptures that provided a national identity and a national language that enabled us, even though we were separate and different, enabled us to function as one nation under God, indivisible, mm -hmm. with liberty and justice for all. So what's happening now? We've, the more biblically illiterate we become, the more divided we become, the more divided we become, the more weak we become. Uh, and, and if we're not careful, we can learn from history. Um, if we start speaking a different language, like we talk, for instance, now instead of equality, we talk about equity. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many subtle shifts in our view of who we are. In fact, I, I believe one of the biggest problems in America today is we are losing a sense of national identity. Absolutely. Or national identity or nationalism is mocked and despised. Right. Right. Yeah. So, quick, quick, because we only got a few more minutes. Um, uh, this whole idea of, of, in the Bible, we see Daniel, we see Jeremiah, we see Nehemiah. The prophets, uh, many of them were either trying to rebuild what was lost. In other words, they, they had a love for Jerusalem. They had a love for their people. Uh, they had a love for their way of worship. And all the major prophets were all about, like, I, I love that passage from Jeremiah. Jeremiah. He says, hey, even though you're in Babylon, uh, we want you to love the people there, love that nation, seek to serve that nation, and then also love your people. In other words, Christianity gives us the impulse not only to love Americans, but to love all the nations of the world. It right. gives us a missionary thrust that most other nations don't have because they don't share our common worldview. I mean, throughout Scripture, I mean, I just reread Nehemiah. I mean, the love, the, the, the divine call for him to love Jerusalem, to love his people, even though he, he served the king very well, he was a very good official, the king loved him, he had a sense, a place in his heart for his own people. For him to say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice, take great risk, go back and rebuild the wall. Yeah. I mean, that's that's... That's respect and honor. That's a value driven from the Bible to love and be patriotic to your own people. Yeah. That doesn't mean you don't love others. It doesn't right. mean you're going to invade other people. It's not, it's not a perverted secular form like yes. we saw under the Nazis. We're not saying Americans are great and everybody else stinks. Uh, yeah, our heritage saying, is to destroy every nation and put them under America's rule. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. the rule. No, yeah. no, no. That's, that's a that's secularized not, version. Right. What we say, and I love this, this is the difference between polytheism and monotheism. The gospel says there's one God. And he is ruler over the whole world. Yeah. And so when you have an understanding of one God, one king, and then you have the scriptures, which is basically the, the external critique, right? The external objective critique of how well you're living as a nation before God. In other words, it's not your opinion versus my opinion. Right. It's God's opinion. Right. If God says something is wrong, uh, then we need to hold up this, the, the plumb line, right? The standard, and we need to say, hey. That's wrong. That's evil. Yeah. And that's what keeps nations healthy. And, and guess what? God's law applies to all nations, whether they acknowledge him or not. Which is why a little plug here. If you're listening to this, we will have just started a series at Living Stones on uh, king and, for king and country. 
proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. That is the message of hope. That is the true, true globalism. It, it is, it is the fact that there is one king. He is wonderful. He rules the nations of the world. He's given us his law. And we're going to talk about how blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and the people he's chosen for his inheritance. But it all comes from language and the, the unifying power of language and the empowering aspect of language. Uh, and yet an understanding that nation states, borders, nationalism, patriotism, all of these things are good things when they're understood from a biblical perspective. Absolutely. And they're necessary yeah, for great, the for this for the sustaining, the health, the the uh, consistency, the the order of a nation, for a nation to stay, remain stable enough for it to thrive. Amen. That's good. Not only good, but necessary. Absolutely necessary. Necessary, necessary. If you want to destroy a nation, just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. So anyway, I hope you're enjoying this as much as we're enjoying this. this uh, these a- are things that I, I'm like, how could I never have learned this? All my years of being a Christian, these yeah. are crucial things that I'm like, oh my goodness. And, and, the, and this is why we do a Pulpit Freedom Sunday and, and just a Freedom Sunday on the fourth, the Sunday close to the 4th of July is probably not enough because these are the kind of things that if we don't restore this truth and it's lost, um, it literally leads to the destruction of your nation. These Absolutely. are foundational uh you know, truths, critical truths that we've got to kick to understand ourselves, and then we have to share them with the next generation. So Absolutely. we're going to be uh, announcing too at Living Stones. We're going to be doing a class on biblical civil, um, uh, government, like understand biblical citizenship, uh, trying to recover a lot of these uh, national kind of truths. Like, what does it mean to be a patriot? What does it mean to be Christian nationalism? Why, why should we love our country? Why should we love the nations of the world? Uh, what does it mean to function as a good citizen and a constitutional republic these are really really important things i think we're going to be starting that probably in june i guess so uh we'll have more information on that later but thank you so much for joining us today please uh like the podcast share the podcast give us some reviews online help us spread the word all right we'll see you next thursday